This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast. I am, of course, your Uncle Stamford Chidge. And uh, here we are yet again for another episode of something that I've been absolutely loving uh, the both times that we've done it, which is the 50 Years of Chelsea, which, of course, if you don't know by now, is where me and the boys go through a Chelsea season for every season from 1970 onwards. And we started doing it in the first lockdown and here we are just before the start of the uh, 2021-2022 season, and we are up to 1995-1996. to 1996. Um, A very, very historic season for many, many reasons. And to share this evening with me, uh, I am the, 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 well, it's the A-team, really. I've got Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Whoop! Great to be here. And there are only three of us, so it'll go really quickly. Yeah, right. That's my hope, J.K. I, I'm, you know, I live in hope, not expectation. Uh, so we've got J.K. as always, and of course we have the man who we're J.K. and I are very quickly realising is that without Mark there is no show because he remembers the things so that we don't have to, and it's I'm very glad of it. Mark, how how are you, dear boy? Lovely to see you. Uh, lovely to see you both. Yes, I'm good. Looking forward to this evening. The arrival of the rude boy. Yes, indeed, Rudy, 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 Rudy. Rudy. Now, um, before we get into all of that, um, uh, of course, we have to have a look at the kits. And uh, remarkably, this is the first time for ages that we've done this that we only have two kits. Uh, we've got a new home kit, which uh, I actually quite liked. I have to say. Um, it's uh, it's the one. It's it's obviously it's blue, but it's got little kind of white flashings on the shorts. It's got very white socks with the horrible Bates Millwall badge on them, which is a bit of a downer. And of course, it's a cause kit, but it's got this lovely kind of button thing and little yellow yellow collars uh, and yellow and blue collars. I like that kit. Uh, and we've still got the uh, the Marmite kit or the Tangerine and Graphite kit, 
which we've got for the rest of this season. But there is no no third kit, no third kit either, which is a bit weird. But uh, J.K. Uh, as our as our fashion guide, uh, what well, say I you think, about the kit? You know, I think the reason they've got no third kit is that it, the orange and graphite didn't clash with anybody because yeah. it's so weird. It was so bad, they yeah. couldn't possibly have another kit. Indeed, indeed. I think they realised that they could wear that whenever. They could have worn that all season, even at home, and nobody would have clashed. Um, but I thought this is my favourite kit, actually. Here. Really? I mean, I, well, I like the Cox Sportif. We've established that as well. We've worked, that's a that's a, a, um, a seminal kit. But this in particular, uh, but part of the reason is, is because such fabulous football and such fabulous players played in it. That really helps me to appreciate it. But I love the uh, little bits of yellow, and I love the white flashes on the uh, on the shorts at a kind of angle, um, and obviously the white socks as well. But uh, the um, the little white Y shaped um, collar bit with the uh, button in it was uh, was uh, always a favourite of mine. I, I just love the kit. I love the players who played in the kit. That's the main thing, I think. So. Yeah, I think it's funny, isn't it, how we. You know, and I, I'm I'm sure Mark that you know J.K. just dropped the older Lecoq Sportif bomb, the '83 '84 kit, and and it's my favourite kit, and and I don't, and I like it. It's a nice kit, but I'm I'm sure it has a lot more to do with the fact that I absolutely adored that whole team. So it's funny how how our views on kits seem to mould with that. No, d- definitely, and again, I'd agree, with J.K. This is a really nice kit. I, I like I like this kit. Uh, and I think we talk about the away kit. I think the away kit was very much designed to sort of like be a fashion item. Well, I think this home kit was a fashion item uh, in this 95-6 season because most people were wearing it. And you know, to be really you know, a fashion icon, you had to have a number four on the back. It was the word Phillips. Yes, indeed. Because <laughs> that's what everybody was wearing this season. Well, they were indeed. Well, bef- <laughs> before we get into that, which we're going to do to death in a minute, just a quick reminder for you lovely people out there uh, that we've partnered up with uh, 3retro.com uh, and they have a superb collection of Chelsea retro gear and they are offering 10% off when you use the 3retro10 code. And if you order over uh, 50 quid of merch, you get free UK delivery. Now, uh, for the, you know, the link to get you this 10% off, uh, you need to go to our Twitter and Facebook post for this show uh, when I put it up here sometime later today or tomorrow and uh, just click on their, their link there and it'll you'll get your 10% off if you use that three retro 10 code. So, and they, I mean, you know, they, 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 they do quite a wide range actually of shirts, you know, so it's uh, well worth investigating. Now... As Mark's teased mercilessly in the five minutes that we've been on air, uh, this is a very, very big season for one particular reason. And it, 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 we always start, as you know, with the in and outs. And uh, right at the back end of last season, the uh, 94-95 season, a certain Rude Hullet was transferred from Sampdoria for free, uh, swiftly followed in June by Mark Hughes from Man United for £1.5 million. Uh, but other ins throughout the season, which we'll talk about uh, as and when they crop up. But just to let you know, Jody Morris uh, comes through from the youth this year. Mark Nichols also comes through from the youth. Dan Pet Rescue, Super Dan. Uh, he comes in in uh, November from Sheffield Wednesday for £2.3 million. And Terry Phelan uh, comes in in November from Man City for seven hundred and fifty pounds now, on their way out are David Hopkin, who goes to Crystal Palace for 850 grand. 
Hallelujah, Robert Fleck has flocked and flocked off, I think, or flecked off, if you prefer. Uh, we, we sent him back to Norwich. You're probably the only people who would take him for 650 grand. He goes in September. Darren Barnard goes to Bristol City uh, in October for 175 grand. Dear old Gareth Hall. Gareth Hall. He goes to Sunderland for 300 grand in uh, January. And Andy Dow goes to Hibernian for 125 grand in March. So there you go. But let's be honest, it's all about Hullet. But we shouldn't forget Husey. But let's talk about Hullet first. It was very interesting on the season review, what I read, or I watched even, that Hullet in an interview said uh, that one of the reasons he came to Chelsea was that Hoddle was the manager. That was really important for him. And the reason why it was really important was because he knew that Hoddle was into playing a passing game and that was right for the way that he wanted to play. I tell you what, Mark, um, I wonder if it was also important that Chelsea had just got to a semi-final of a European competition. So therefore, perhaps had got on the radar of some of these continental players, whereas they might not have done previously. No, fair point. Uh, I, I think that was a massive part in Colin Hutchinson's sort of se- and, and Glenn Hoddle um, selling the vision of Chelsea to Rude Hullet. But wow, what a massive signing. That e- even 25 years on, you know, and y- you see it now that the, the people in the know and they're going, announce this, announce that. You know, we didn't have any of that nonsense back then. But if you look at the amount of players that have come and gone through Chelsea Football Club over 25 years, the signing of Rudolph is right up there in terms of a massive, massive signing. It really was. Yeah, this is sort of like evening standards of like front page news. Yeah, it, it was such a big thing for Chelsea to get Rude Hullet. You know, really sort of mem- memorable times in the history of Chelsea. Like at, at the time, you know, you know, I'm trying to do my day job and I had half, you know, half of like sort of Fleet Street ringing me up for quotes, uh, TV shows, etc. It was so big. I remember going on a GLR with Gideon Co and Fee Glover on their breakfast show and the absolute buzz in GLR. You know, like a London radio station, you know, they couldn't believe that Rude Hullet was not only just coming to play for Chelsea, was coming to London. You know, it was such a massive thing. You know, so yes, really significant, you know, player in Chelsea's history. And again, he's in my top 10, 11, you know, Chelsea team of all time. Yeah, I mean, JK, it was, it, 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 I think it was pivotal, wasn't it? When he, it, it just took the club onto a whole new level. And and I think that's the day we became a global club, actually, because he we, was one of the, one of the best players in the world. Ballon d'Or winner, yeah, obviously, yeah. you know, yeah. and and had, had had won it all with Milan or Milan, Milan. One is supposed to call it now, being cosmopolitan. Um, but uh, he's my favourite player of all time. Really? Yeah, yeah, without any shadow of a doubt. Uh, he was electrifying, and his ability to to glide past players. Um, Whilst looking up, looking up for other players was uh, was something that I'll always it will always stay with me. I think that Wimbledon um, we're going to get to that, but his his ability just to to ghost with the ball from the halfway line, just with uh, with a great pace, but looking as if he was strolling, uh, and strolling, then strolling, just strolling <laughs> by the light of the moon above. Sorry, gone. It's it's no, automatic. No, I can't help absolutely it. Absolutely required from there. I mean. He 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 had it all for me. He 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 was he had a great shot. Um, um, he had ability to beat players at will. Um, he would uh, you'd suddenly f- you'd find him at, on the right wing a lot. Just just 
ghosting past players and whipping the ball in, could cross onto a sixpence. Um, the number of times he could just find Hughes, who was, you know, his his willing playmate, just running into the penalty area to to volley it in. I thought they were a fantastic partnership, and I will uh, I will go on about him as well. Hughes to me was also one of the one of the great signings. I think Ferguson said he'd made a great great mistake. Biggest but, mistake he'd but, ever made. He said ever made. But his but um, Hullet's vision he could look at players and just try and get them to go into positions that he was thinking of. There's a we'll see. There's a wonderful pass that he plays and again outside of the foot. Um, just moving to the penalty area, thirty yard pass, splits everybody. He's he was genius. just absolutely a genius, completely yeah. and utterly. And and uh, and I as I say, um, Hughes uh, for the team as well was was an absolute coup because he's similarly to me one of the great Chelsea players of of my time of watching as well. Um, and you've been watching it longer than Mark and I have. I've been watching longer than Mark and and uh, you, Chidge, I'm afraid. I am 40 years older than both of you. No, but you and, saw Jimmy uh, Greaves play for Chelsea. I did, yeah, but, he, but that was very different because the side wasn't very good and he just used to goal hang. But he's still one of the greatest players we've but, ever well, had. Well, great, well, because he just could, wherever he was, he could slot the ball in. But very different times. I mean, as even now, very different times from uh, from when uh, Hullet was playing. And also, he, he managed to get the best out of uh, Peacock and Spencer Hullet. That's what was so so wonderful about him as a player. And it revealed, I mean, I've talked about this in, in, in previous shows, is both Peacock and Spencer were great at sneaking in and volleying. They were great volleyers of the ball, both of them. And Spencer this season is absolutely in his element. He scores some fantastic goals. You forget, actually, once again, you think, yeah, decent player, Spenny. And you, you watch the, the stuff back and you think, God, he really was so accurate, as opposed to poor, unfortunate Mark Steen, who um, uh, had his purple patches when he'd score seven in a row in, in seven games, and then would miss the most obvious um, sitters. When you just think, how did he miss that one? And those, so my memories of both of them are are very different indeed. Steen remembering him as a as a kind of just serial for a little period, he couldn't stop hitting the goal brilliantly accurately and, and brilliantly ferociously, a great ferocious shot. But Spencer, far more consistent, sneaking in in front. There's another fabulous goal we're going to get to where he, uh, I think it's a Hullet cross, he just gets in front of the player and, and smashes it into the roof of the net just with timing and getting there. You think that is really an immaculate goal. And uh, um, yes, this was a, the, the buzz for this season was um, uh, possibly the best that I'd ever had since... Um, the Osgood period since the period where we'd won we won trophies because um, you just thought something must happen here with these players and 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 it did it did it was except it wasn't the consistency of the season that we'd have wanted but you could see something was being built here as a consequence of bringing these players in yeah. and as the season went on we just just discussed who came into the side Petrescu another brilliant player brilliant signing by Hoddle who had his vision and was beginning to make the vision work as the season went on. It yeah, was um, absolutely no. It's a, it's going to be really fun talking about it tonight for all of those yeah. reasons. Um, yeah. Mark, the interesting thing that uh, I had forgotten completely, actually, as you do, um, was that we were we were apparently in the the, the ITK crowd. I don't, I don't know how the ITK crowd managed to communicate in in 1995, but apparently uh, we we missed out on Dennis Bergkamp. 
and also interestingly Gaza because his agent wanted too money but also Gianfranco Zola who of course we get the next year so you've got some interesting quotes that you've dug out well I don't know where you've dug them out from but it's actually I, I look back um, on uh, one of them was a, a press quote I found from Glenn Hoddle and I think you know, one was um, I think it was a piece of the Chelsea Independent where I, I went to a book launch and I think Glenn spoke at that and I think he mentioned it there yeah, but I've, I've seen it somewhere. But yeah, I remember we were in for Bergkamp because the day we signed Hullet, and, and I said I did that thing with GLR. I also did, I think, Five Live. And I actually said it on the show. Well, what do you think, Mark, about Bergkamp coming? And I go, what? Yeah, so they were in the know. I thought, well, we're in for Bergkamp as well. I thought Bergkamp and Hullet. So it didn't materialise. Arsenal beat us to it. Yes, Gaza, Colin Hutchins has said, yeah, we're after Gaza, but his agent wanted too much money. But the Zola one that took me by surprise. So clearly, a year and a half before we bought him, we were looking at him as a player. You know, and Hoddle says, funny enough, Zola was the one I wanted to bring in. You know, and it was moved; he could be available, but the money just wasn't there at the time. So I presume, yeah, we went, we went and got Hullet, but we couldn't have got Hullet and Zola. Maybe that might have something to. But I think it's more, and we'll talk about it later. Some of the things going on behind the scenes with Matthew Harding and Ken Bates, you know, how much money Harding was prepared to put in for transfer, with all the other things going on at the club. But again, you know, we'll get Zola later, but just ha- having Hullet, you know, and the impact he has over the coming months, people wearing rude Hullet wigs to, ch- to Chelsea. It was, it was just an amazing time to be a Chelsea fan. There was, as JK said, there was a real buzz, especially pre-season, uh, about Hullet's arrival. Yeah, I mean... it everybody was wearing rude uh, rude hullet dreadlock wigs it was just it was nuts i've never seen anything like it before really at chelsea at all you know it was absolutely brilliant of course there's always a few naysayers uh, and uh, mark's dug out this wonderful quote from uh, quasimodo sorry peter beardsley uh, no. the, the i don't know if i'm allowed to say this i'm going to i'm going to say it and then the boys will react and depending on how they react will depend on whether i leave it in uh, but anyway the well-known racist peter beardsley yeah, I, I believe that is the allegation that's made against him, and that's why he was suspended by Newcastle. So is, I'm allowed to keep it in then? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Allegedly, allegedly. All right, just yeah. to cover our asses, yeah. the alleged racist Peter yeah. Beardsley, uh, yeah. uh, he said, and you can now you'll understand why I'm being a bit snarky about him. Yeah. Uh, Sunday Mirror comment and Rude Hullet signing. I'm not sure Hullet is a big enough club or good enough club to be a hit, says Peter Beardsley playing for Newcastle who uh, I have to say they, they were in the running for the title this season but we're a bigger club than Newcastle for fuck's sake everybody knows that what's he on about um, I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love it I'd really love it if Newcastle didn't win the league this season yeah. Yeah. and Peter Beardsley misses a penalty against us oh oh that's coming later that's coming later um you know, going back to Mark Hughes as well, because I'm absolutely with you, J.K. I loved Hughesy, and the funny thing is, I hated him before he signed. Yeah, I was absolutely. Mark Hughes, fucking man, you know, I was really apoplectic with rage, and he certainly turned me round by the time his career finished. But of course, he did. Um, he was a Chelsea fan as a boy. He used to wear a Peter Bonetti kit as a kid. Did you know all, that all, the whole green outfit? I thought he had a thought he had a Peter Bonetti poster. Well, I, I well, I, this is from Rick. So, well, Rick said he wore the kit. Okay, well, shirt, enough. Peter Bonetti shirt. Bonetti shirt. Okay, so he wanted to be a goalkeeper. Yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, weird. But he, to me, well, I wish I'd known that you could play football like that. Watching him, because when, when I was younger, I really would have put it about a lot more. Because he was, he was. I think he had the most yellow cards of anybody in the end of the season. 
and he was sent off once, wasn't he? Yeah, and he had 13 yellow cards or something. And he was absolutely, I mean, just so remarkably competitive. It was, and the ability, the strength, the upper body strength, the ball was, was kicked at him in the penalty area. He could just chest the ball down and keep the centre-halves away from him was absolutely remarkable, which is something that poor old Paul Furlong, who played a few times this season, and was decent at putting the ball in the net, but was no comparison. When you look at Hughes playing, you understand what centre-forward play is all about. He's the best the best at holding a ball up I've yes, ever seen. I've ever seen. I've and he's one of, the, one of the best volleyers of a football. And, one of, and a great a great head. Of course, I, a great yeah. goal scorer. Great goal scorer. A great, great player, really, Hughes. Absolutely, these two signings were remarkable. But the interesting thing about Mark Hughes, when you meet him off the pitch, he's so quiet. Yeah. Yeah, that, that line on the pitch, you know, that terrorises defences. But off the pitch, wouldn't say boo to a goose. Yeah. Complete, you know, complete contrast in personalities. He's on, it's like, almost like Jekyll and Hyde, you know. But, you but know, he but, wasn't a filthy player, though. He was no, just, no, no. Oh, it, yeah. he wouldn't put his foot in. He wasn't a Julian Dick stamping on Johnny Spencer's head. You know, he wasn't anything, he wasn't a, he didn't, he wasn't the kind of striker who uh, um, you would think, oh, he's a, he wasn't a, he wasn't a, a coster. He, he, he had the he had the energy and the aggression of Costa, but uh, Costa he wasn't, he wasn't felt, dirty. He wasn't dirty ever. Costa Just was dirty, absolutely, unbelievably competitive, and one of the great headers of the ball as well as a great volleyer. The the ability to to uh, reach so many things you were thought of out 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 of his reach and head the ball and set a chance up. I I I really can't. Can't speak to. You're getting high. emotional, mate. I love it. No, but, I, but it was such a. He was such, such a player, Hughes. He was. I absolutely loved him. Yeah, me too. Me too. Now, Mark's got about at least three mega stories before we get into the games, which, <laughs> having read them already, as I know JK has, JK and I are going to sit back and have yes. our coffee and let. Uh, take it away, Mark, because these are I'll, hilarious. I'll, I'll, I'll throw things for you to get you warmed <laughs> up before before the, the first game of the season against Everton. We were talking about Robert Fleck leaving. We, we should have said this earlier in the show. Uh, post-season, is, uh, obviously, Fleck was here at the start of the season, but obviously he went, I think, was it in September? But post-season, Robert Fleck gets done by the Football Association for the year before when we obviously got to the 94 Cup final, um, Flecky was a towel, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> he, he got done for selling Cup final tickets that obviously got traced back to him. So the FA um, gave him a five-year ban from receiving Cup final tickets and a £300 fine. He probably paid the fine with the revenue he got from selling on the, the, cup, the cup final tickets. The, the other thing that you should have mentioned um, is... I was really lucky sort of post-season um, to get the opportunity to play at Stamford Bridge, which was yeah, any Chelsea fan's lifetime ambition. Um, and a guy called Tony Farmer, who managed the sort of Chelsea women's team at that time, had organised a friendly at the Royal Marsden, for the Royal Marsden Hospital against uh, the Ar- Arsenal ladies' side. And he said, like, you know, do you want to put the, sort of, the Chelsea independent side up against an Arsenal fanzine? So, so we did. Um, and unfortunately, we lost... 1-0 to the Arsenal at Stamford Bridge which was a bit of a kick in the teeth the only time I've ever got to play there but there's this moment there and I sort of thought about it when I was sort of reviewing the season sort of 25 years on and when I've done any psychological damage to anybody um, I, I was I was player manager um, and at half time so there's about a crowd of 500 
at Stamford Bridge um, for both games. So I'm, I'm on um, Glenn's seat on the bench at Stamford Bridge. And at half time, sort of like this kid jumps over and he sort of says, like, yo, can I have your autograph? Yo. And he, he actually thought I was Glenn Hoddle. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I sort of, you know, yeah, yeah, children are, you know, when they, they believe something so strongly. So I sort of said to him, no, I'm not Glenn Hoddle, yo. Um, but he said, well, if you're not Glenn Hoddle, you must be something important because you're the Chelsea manager. So I'd still like your autograph. So if I really wanted to do some psychological, I could have signed the book Glenn Hoddle. You know, but I actually signed it in my name. So he was so chuffed to get my autograph. He leaks back over into the East End lower tier. And then this mob of kids all pile down and they all get my autograph. So there's about 20 kids who are now probably in their late 30s, early 40s. They've got an autograph book somewhere with my name in it. And they're probably thinking like, now, who the fuck's autograph is that? I, I wonder <laughs> if one of them's Chris Wright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we, we were talking about things like autographs early before we came on here so guys if, if you've got my autograph somewhere i apologize like, i'm not glenn hoddle you know if it's sitting in your autograph somewhere from that day but the other thing as well was um um we then had obviously um, a pre-season benefit game for paul elliott because i moaned on last week's show about how badly we treated kerry dixon so they got it bang on for paul elliott a pre-season game, 16,000 crowd. You know, we play in Porto, and obviously Mark Hughes scores his first goal at the bridge. So first game, goal, good start. I remember it being a really hot day, and we were still so organised that having last season forgot to apply for the licence, this time, you know, first game, they ran out of beer in the North Stand on a really hot day. Like You couldn't make this stuff up. But this is absolutely brilliant moment. Um, so Chelsea won up at half-time and Porto equalised in the second half. And I can't remember the Portuguese player's name, but it's at the, the, the North Stand, Matthew Harding end. So the Portuguese player, he scores and, you know, as Beckham learns in later years, he runs up to celebrate in front of the Chelsea fans. So while he's standing there sort of with his arms out, taking all the glory, and bear in mind, this is a pre-season friendly. Some Chelsea fan gets up from his seat and he throws this hamburger and it hits the Porto player right in the kisser. Yeah, and there's a big cheer from the crowd as fans would do those sort of things. But credit to the Porto player. He bends down, he picks up the hamburger, takes a bite out of it, and then everybody gets up and gives him a standing ovation. Just absolutely brilliant moment. Um, but again, same game. Um, guy called Steve Frankham, people who go to Chelsea know Steve. Yeah, know Steve. Used to be, yeah, there used to be chair of the Chelsea pitch owners. Well, Steve was in charge of Paul Elliott's testimonial year. So after the game, and Steve invited me along, he'd organised what I'd probably best call as like a casino on the concourse of the upper tier of the North Stands. Uh, so all the players were there afterwards. I met Rude Hullet, you know, for the first time and the only time. And again, it's probably the only time where I've met a player where I was absolutely gobsmacked, just didn't know what to say. And I'm tall. I'm six foot. But Hullet towered above me when I got introduced to him. And I was just like a gibbering wreck because he just he's like, my God, it's Rude Hullet. He's like, you know, uh, and he just towers over you and like almost not deliberately intimidating, but he's just so big a personality. So I was just tongue tied. And then I met Bobby Robson and I actually had time chatting to Bobby Robson. And absolutely, he would be everything you want him to be because he was managing Porto at that time. And he introduced me to his assistant. Uh, and I'd forgotten about this. Um, uh, until many years later because I, I was actually taken with his assistant because he was his translator at the time and it's just this guy called Jose Mourinho <laughs> yeah. and the only other time I met Jose Mourinho um, was when he was a Chelsea manager 
And I thought it was a bit rude and abrupt. And I thought, what happened to that guy sort of like, you know, 15 years ago with this absolute charmer that was just basically Bobby Robbins' translator. But yeah, really, I was there that day. Um, uh, but then, then the piece of resistance is a couple of days later, um, Chelsea had gone down to Devon um, for their sort of pre-season training camp. And people that listen to the show, they know, you know who Mr. Only a Pound is. Uh, and he was living down in Torquay in those days. So I went down to stay, stay with Dave. And to his credit, he got some great seats. Um, we got seats behind the bench. So we're sitting right behind um, Glenn Hoddle at Playmore for the, the pre-season running at Torquay. And like, Dave was just lawless that day. Uh, you know, before the game when the players are out on the pitch uh, and we had arranged uh, with um, the chairman, Mike Bates and the Torquay United, uh, to go on the pitch and present Rude with a welcome to sort of Chelsea Football Club flag, uh, and I've, I've posted photos and I'll probably do it afterwards of him on the on the pitch with the flag um, of the Chelsea Independent Sports Association. So, so, you know, Rude, Rude was Rude was great, you know, real gentleman, really appreciated the welcome. Dave's going round. Kevin Hicks got warming up. Dave punches the ball out of Kevin Hicks got's arms and nicks it. Colin Hutchinson and the Glen Hodler on the pitch. You know, Dave just walks across to them, sort of like just. Yeah, there was just no rules with Dave. But then the best bit, Chelsea win 5-0. Yeah, Hullet was in then, third game in, just incredible. He's this one 50-yard pass to Mark Steen. He said, wow, if that had gone in, what an amazing goal it would be. But as JK said earlier, the times he found Spenny, the times he found Peacock were these long-range passes. And you sort of thought, God, I'm so looking forward to this season. But we win 5-0. It's a friendly, really great, great evening. Sunny weather down in Torquay. For some strange reason... A lot of Dutch women, I don't know whether they were there on holiday in Torquay or they'd come over to see Ruud Hullet, don't know. That's the one thing, just remember the amount of Dutch women at the game. But at the final whistle, um, Dave disappears. You know, he was there in front of us and then he's gone the next. Uh, and most of the Chelsea players' attire that day was like a white polo shirt with the Ken Bates badge and a pair of blue shorts. And I think that day, Dave had a white T-shirt on and he might have had a pair of blue shorts. And we looked down towards the tunnel and Dave has blended himself in with the whole of the Chelsea backroom staff. So he then bypasses and jibs past all the talkie security guards because all the kids are running on the pitch looking for autographs. And he disappears down into the dressing room. And we're going, where has he gone? So he gets into the dressing room and he, he tries to get Steve Clark's shirt off him. And then Graham Ricks gets, finds him in the dressing room and Graham Ricks basically tells him to... Fuck off out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so even now, and I asked him about it on Saturday, and it's even to this day referred to as a Rixy. Like, you know, that Rick's gave him such a dirty look and swore, swore, swore him out. And bless him, he never actually got Steve Clark. So, Steve, if you're listening, 25 years on, you know, make, make an old man happy and send a shirt down to Mr. Only a Pound. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. There you go. It was good to say, by the way, I mean, we had such a great time on Saturday, as plenty of people will know. We we all got together in the Chelsea Pension, all the fan cast mob, uh, and uh, also Smithy, uh, Neil Smith, and uh, Neil Beard, who was there in Torquay with you guys, I think. And uh, he, he was indeed. He went down with me. Yes, yeah, indeed. Because I've seen him in the picture, and, uh, and yeah. D, DJ were all there too. We had an absolutely cracking day. Um, right. On with the football. Our first match... Uh, a home match, of course, is against Everton and Neil Barnett. What, what I was interested to see uh, on the season review was Neil Barnett with a Barnett. Yeah. Yeah, Neil Barnett with hair. He looks so different. Curly. Curly Barnett. Curly Barnett, in fact. 
uh, introducing uh, Hullet and Hughes to the crowd. Hullet as the best player in the world and Hughes is the best centre-forward in English football in the last 20 years. So Neil being typically modest in bigging up the new signings, of course. And of course, being Chelsea, it ends in a in a nil nil. But it wasn't it wasn't one of those oh God Almighty because I mean we were all over them. I mean I know Limpar hit the post early on. Clark went close from a brilliant setup by Hullet and uh, Hughes. Erlen Johnson did an overhead kick. What's going on? Uh, so you know it wasn't. I don't know. I just don't remember it as being depressing that we'd only drawn nil nil. I was still full of buzzing, uh, buzzing optimism. However, J.K. After after you know drawing away at Forest, and then uh, losing two 0 away to Borough, I wasn't feeling quite so uh, chipper. I have to say, well, Borough weren't weren't very they weren't bad. They had Barmby playing for they them. They did, didn't the they? England international at the time, and that uh, Hignett was a decent player. They weren't. He'd, he'd invested the the boy who bought. Uh, who bought them the um, who was the, the mobile phone magnet? Well, they just opened the Riverside, hadn't they? The, the, yeah. the new stadium that was their first yeah. game in it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, they, uh, but yes, nonetheless, we were slightly disappointed that these great stars hadn't instantly delivered. Um, but uh, you know, we were willing to uh, accept that it was early days. I mean, it's, it's that thing of allowing them to to bed down a bit, which. Uh, um, I'm not convinced anybody gets away with nowadays, but um, uh, but then we were just um, we were seeing what permutations of players he would come up with, and I still think we were getting great performances out of Rude, who was just it was all, it was just worth worth watching them for his performances alone. You know, I think that's what was going on. We haven't scored a goal in three games. We've lost one and drawn the others, but we were still sitting there with our tongues hanging out of our mouths, going Rude, yeah. Rude, yeah. Rude. Yeah. I mean, that's what we were doing. I mean, it yeah. all it all. I mean, it doesn't quite click into gear in in a way. But Mark wants to come in before we go to Coventry, right? No, I was actually going to come in on Coventry. Right, okay. well, I, was, I was I was going to say that's when you really see those early signs where Hullet is really connecting with his, you know. His, his colleagues up front. There's an absolutely blinding pass. Well, that, that's the one that J.K. was talking about. And I was going to say that yard, was J- yeah, outside of the right outside foot. Of, outside his foot, an amazing pass to Mark Hughes for the second goal. But then, you know, Hullet hits the post in that game all over Coventry. But then, as Chelsea does so many times down the years, tune it up and we allow Coventry back into the game. We did but indeed. I was watching that game and, and was very aware of how... Um, uh, slow we were defensively and uh, I think that we 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 covered several holes in the team by by um, uh, buying these two and 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 playing the other playing Spencer and playing uh, Peacock and you thought actually this is this is evolving well but the defense was still a little bit dubious I mean I'm afraid I'm gonna have to say this I was never a Frank Sinclair fan and the number of times that you see him standing and the ball hits him or he misses the header or he misses his kick. And he was too inconsistent. And uh, and I think that contributed. And I think we will discover that um, as the season goes on, um, when he gets injured later on, it gives Dubry an opportunity to come in. And I think the, uh, exactly the, side, the side becomes that much more um, solid defensively. We will. You're absolutely right. I mean, we, we will get to that. We will get to yes, that. Oh, I know. Yes. Oh yes. Just um, to say that I think that I think he get Frank for all you know. Bless his cotton socks. He was great at scoring own goals. To be fair, great. Yeah, great score and and scored the odd screamer himself. He did he actually. He well, he did this season. He did this season. Yeah. But I always felt 
that he would do something good and then give the ball away. And it was, I think we discover in this season that Rude, even at the end of the season, says um, the, uh, there was quality, but there wasn't enough quality in the team. And I'm afraid I think that uh, Frank is an example of that. Indeed. Um, so we're now into September. Uh, we've got one point on the board. Um, but actually, off the pitch, it was getting rather exciting, Mark, wasn't it? Um, the first signs of the Harding v Bates issues all beginning to unravel. Yeah, very, very early on <clears> in September. <throat> Obviously, when we get late into a season, it really does begin to unravel. But the, the first signs were there. Uh, and, and you see the difference of viewpoints. Is it cl- clearly, you know, Harding had put a, a certain amount of investment in, but he wasn't really going to spend the big bucks you know, until he eventually became chairman. But obviously, Bates wanted Harding um, to put more investment in because he actually wanted to develop the commercial and hotel side, where I think Harding's investment, other than the initial $5 million for the North Stand, his future investment was very much around players. And players we bought that season was very much with, with Harding's money, such as Petrescu and Phelan. And I think Harding's viewpoint was if the team was successful on the pitch, the business off the pitch just takes care of itself. And I think the first tension point was Hoddle wanted a bigger pitch. And I know we talked about the pitch and it had moved last week, but Hoddle wanted a bigger pitch. So that went to um, a meeting of the board and uh, Colin Hutchinson voted with Matthew Harding and they voted in favour. So Hoddle got his way of having a sort of an enclosed pitch that was made bigger, where that meant there was probably going to either be a smaller shed end or a smaller west end or a smaller commercial development. The other thing that happened at that time as well is I think in September, both Hutchinson and Harding resigned from Chelsea Village, but not from the Chelsea board itself. Uh, and then the other thing, obviously, mischievously, because we had a good relationship with Matthew in the Chelsea Independent, he obviously shared with us that Ken Bates had always said, while he was chairman of Chelsea Football Club, he'd never taken a penny out of the club. And obviously, Matthew shared with us that that wasn't quite true, because in the club accounts, um, there was a consultancy fee for £164,614 paid annually to a Kenneth William Bates. <laughs> So never took a penny out of the club, apart from the £164,000. He was right, basis. he never took a penny out of the club. He no, took £164,000 Which, actually, at the end of the day, you could say, you know, a lot of people were having a problem with that, because then, as a chairman of the club, he's then receiving an income or a wage or whatever. But it was a matter of fact, he said he never yeah. took a penny out. Yeah, yeah exactly was, was the contradiction, yeah. Exactly that, exactly that. Well, there you go, watch this space, because that hots up in about a month or so but uh, the next game is uh, West Ham away and the pressure's on a bit you know we still haven't won and we're into September uh, but actually uh, it, you know we it was a, this is a brilliant match from from what I remember Wisey puts us 1-0 up Spenny gets a cracking 25 yarder brilliant he's got a lot of crackers Chid. He's well, scored this a lot season you're yeah. right but this season particularly so many so many cracking goals cracking goals I know Nothing. Nothing poor about his Nothing poor. No, some real screamers all season. I mean, apart yeah. from the clever stuff with Hullet, they're all having a bloody go. I mean, I think uh, I think Frank actually scores already. Newton scores an absolutely... Even Gareth Holders, anyway. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. West Ham. Wisey. 1-0 up. Spenny scores a great goal from 25 yards out. And then uh, Julian Dix, as we established last week, uh, was my, my favourite player. Not... Uh, he stamps on uh, Johnny Spencer's head. He stamps on his head and he doesn't get sent off. But what he, he is going played, on? He played the innocent very well. 
dicks. He was always very good at going... Stupid well, people do that very well, well don't they? Well, Stupid very, people do that very well. Very, very well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, if VAR had been around, he would have been... Banned. Drum, drummed off and banned. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, as a result, Spenny gets this uh, very kind of Terry Butcher-esque, Paul Ince-esque headband, bandage, basically, white bandage around his hair with his little hair spiking out the top of it and he's clearly on one i mean he's 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 revved up and raring to go um hutchinson then gets one back for west ham and then dicks not satisfied with stamping on spenny's head does a dreadful tackle on hullet because he kind of like holds him and holds him and holds him and puts his body weight on his knee did you see that in the review yeah i mean it looks quite innocent but i tell you that is nasty that it could have broken his leg anyway Still, he doesn't get sent off. Uh, and then Spenny's fouled by Tim Breaker, who for some reason was always in my fancy football side at the time. What, probably because he was cheap. Anyway, um, so Breaker, Breaker uh, gives a penalty away. Wise takes it. It's saved. Uh, but then the, uh, the coup de grace uh, at the end of the game is uh, Hullet, a great ball to Spenny, who, who absolutely wallops it in, headband and all. It's a really good game, this, actually. And I think... That's it. Kind of got them going, didn't it? Really? Yeah. I think there's a there's a lovely moment uh, on on here as well um, that Hullet um, gives the Sky Man of the Match award to John Spencer, yeah. and I, I I think that's a really really great moment because already you can see the team spirit in the side sort of like coming through. You know, Hullet, Hullet isn't aloof, big headed, anything like that. He settled into the team really well. Yeah, I love I love that interview because the guy was interviewing Spenny and and he and he and and Hullet thought he was about to ask him a question, then he and he ignored him and yeah. carried on talking to Spenny. And I thought that was a hilarious moment, yeah. you know, that actually Spenny was the star and not Hullet there. I thought it was really really interesting, you know. I mean, it was really interesting as well. I mean, I remember Hullet saying in the season review around this time of the season that he was basically playing as the the sweeper and the playmaker, but. When Chelsea, you know, needed goals or needed to go on the attack, he would get into the midfield when Chelsea needed goals, basically. And I think this is a, a really interesting theme throughout the season. And Jonathan nailed it early on, saying, you know, basically, you know, Hullet played anywhere. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, I know we'll talk about the Blackburn game later. I think in that one, he plays up front towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. So he was he was playing total football yeah, in that Chelsea side that season. Yeah. Anyway, I think the next game is where it really, really started to click and you could see see the shape of things to come, really, when we, we played Southampton at home. Uh, I mean, we could have gone down 1-0, of course, to uh, to Neil Shipley, ex-Chelsea. Wisey clears off the line, but uh, it was all Chelsea, really, after that. Sinclair uh, from a wise pass. One, there you go. Frank scored a goal, JK, at the right end. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, but everybody remembers this match, obviously, for uh, it was Hullet's first uh, Chelsea goal, and a brilliant volley for the second. And then Husey, another brilliant volley from a Minto cross for 3 0. And they were, they were all superb goals. And uh, as I said, I think, uh, Mark, it, it was like the, the, you know, that was the, the first sign of things to come, really, wasn't it? Oh, it was. And I think I remember it was pissing down at rain that day. Of course. And that, that yeah, that Hullet volley, you know. Absolutely great goal, you know, and you sort of think shape, shape of things to come, you know. So two two wins on the spin, moving in the right direction, uh, and obviously then I think the next game was like Stoke in the Cup, but then it falls off the the wheels again. We go and lose up at Newcastle, but then we well, come back again. We will, we will, we will. But that that Newcastle game, um, you know, oh yeah, Carine basically yeah. kicking the ball into Ooh, Ferdinand, oh, yeah. yeah, and then Stino being very wasteful. But yeah, the Arsenal game, Mark. 
What happened Marvelous. at the Arsenal game? I can't remember. Well, obviously it was the he two lied. big Dutch, the, the two big Dutch signings. I think they were they were on the front page of Total Football at the start of that season. I went to Total Football's launch, and you had Hullett and Burkamp. They were the two star signings of the Premier League. Hullett was superb that day. You know, he hits the post. Great goal from Mark Hughes. Um, and you know Chelsea hadn't beaten Arsenal for quite a while. Yeah, you know, but obviously we win that day. And there's a small matter about a certain Nigel Spackman mm. thumping thumping a guy called Martin Keown. Bob. Yeah. Bob. Bob to his friends. Brain of, brain of Britain Keown. Yeah. Uh, absolutely glorious moment. You know, probably the only time Nigel Spackman ever got a standing ovation leaving a pitch at Chelsea. Bless him. Yeah. Well, you know, Keown typically was all over him like a cheap suit and he, and he kept on trying to get away from him. In the end, he just turned around and clumped him. But, you know, uh, I, I, it's, I, you know, I've always felt that he should have. It was, I mean, J.K. You, you know, it was a half-hearted punch, really. I always wished he'd really, really decked him. I mean, Keown went down as though he had, but you know. Yes, he. Well, I, I think he, um, as he was doing it, he thought better of himself and thought, mm. "I don't really ought to. I don't think I ought to be punching him, but I'm going to punch him anyway." And the the thought then got in the way of the action, yeah. so it just looks as if he gives him a little bit of a tap in the back of his I neck. Know. But we still loved him for it. Uh, and oh, as, we did. We did. You know, I mean, as I, I said. And the other thing is, we talked about him on last week's show. It just gives you another reason to dislike Martin Bodenham intensely as an absolutely useless referee. Mm. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> It's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great! Uh, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com 
and then some. Now we get into October, and uh, and we've got another we've got another Mark Meehan strange story. Well, well, it is because obviously <laughs> we, we, you know because we'll, we we have to do the second half of the Bruce came from last week's show, but we we, ha- we had a bit of a dress rehearsal, um, and this is really strange. We got an invitation to go to Eton, you know. So we were supping up our beer and collecting our fags, and we actually played them down in Slough. Yeah. Um, so, so was there a row going down in Slough? There was a row going on down down in Slough. And 25 years on, thinking about how the age of those Eton boys football team now, probably half of them uh, are in the, the current Conservative government cabinet and, and probably running the country. Um, and I think, you know, there's probably a bit of stuff they learned early on, you know, against us old lags when we turned up, because I would call it a blatant bit of gamesmanship. You know, so pre-match, you know, they're all young and nimble and limbering up. And they offer this free food before kickoff, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, chicken, roast and all the trimmings. And then we had apple pie and cream, you know, for dessert. And I, I can safely say that Mr. Smith did indulge. <laughs> <laughs> and one or two others of the team did. So it was like, it's it, talk about sort of like nobbling the opposition beforehand. But there was another thing as well as like our, our star player back then was meant to be a certain David Baddiel. But David didn't turn up this day to play against Eton. He he was a late withdrawal. He was tired. The thing about Badil that we should put in, and I I haven't put anything in the in the notes about this, but of course, at the end of this season we have, you know, a huge moment for English football. We've got Euro '96, and of course this is when Badil goes, you know, becomes really famous with uh, with Frank Skinner for doing the fancy football show. And for which I thank them, because most shows that I've made in my TV career on football were basically rehashes of the fancy football show. <laughs> so I, I have a lot to thank uh, Badil, Skinner, and indeed Andy Jacobs, and I think Paul Hawksby. They they all worked on that show, didn't they? No, absolutely. Uh, we knew Mr. Jacobs then. We knew Mr. Badil then. You know, we, we give them early gigs. You know, we, we, we did it. So they owe their both. success to you, Mark. They, they owe their success to the Chelsea Independent fanzine because we get we did interviews with both of them early doors. Uh, and obviously David agreed to come out and, and play for us. And there'll, there'll be a recurring thing when we talk about the return game at Bruges. But this one, it was a late withdrawal because he was tired. Bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him. Um, all right, so... Uh... What happened on October the second? Then I don't remember this at all, Mark. I, I know, but basically, all it, all it was is we 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 used to organise sort of like regular meetings, uh, and we used to hire Drakes out. So we hired Drakes out and had Matthew Harden on as guest speaker, uh, and a hundred fans turned up. So you could begin to see the interest and the drive and the pull that Harding had, uh, and you know, re- really frank and honest Q and A that evening. Probably wish we'd recorded it now. It'd be great to play it back. Uh, and obviously one of the questions that came to the floor, because it will happen later in the season, but the idea was being mooted about a shares issue. And Harding's inter- response was quite interesting, because he basically said, oh, well, hang on a minute, football fans are shareholders already. Yeah. He said anyone who turns up on a Saturday is already a shareholder. You know, they turn up every week, they put their money into the club. And they're also emotional shareholders, the emotion they invest. And, and being a football fan as well. But actually, he was really balanced as well about his relationship with Ken because the wheels hadn't quite come off yet. You know? And, you know, no one actually wanted Ken to go, although, you know, there was a suggestion sort of later there that that was the case. Yeah, he was held in high esteem. And I think at that point still, the relationship between Harding and, and Bates was 
Bates was grooming Harding as his potential successor as chairman at some at some point in the future. But the wheels fall off. But we'll we'll talk about that when we get to November. Was that true though, Mark, or was that just a rumor? Because I, I uh, there were lots of interviews, TV interviews, weren't there at the time of uh, people saying, oh, "I think it's about time that uh, Bates stepped down. He's a bit old." And, uh, and I would I would say at this point there was no sort of massive campaign to oust him. I think the, the interesting point is when we get into November. The Daily, the Daily Mirror runs a phone poll and asks, asks Chelsea fans to respond to the poll. Yes. Now, a poll is a poll is a poll, but obviously 80% 80, 80 of the response was actually in favour of Harding being chairman rather than Bates. But again, the type of person Ken Bates was, he wouldn't pay any attention to a Daily Mirror poll at the end of the day. No. And, and I mean, the reality is with, with Matthew Harding, as I remember at the time, I mean, you know, he... he I mean, whether whether he did this as a play or not, I can't say. I I never really knew the guy, but he he is what I would call a very shrewd politician. So you know, he was a real fan of that. There was no doubt. He was perfectly happy mixing with the fans. I mean, he's going used to drink his Guinness in the in the Imperial. Well, funny enough, I used to drink, and uh, but he was a real man of the people. So it was very easy for us to fall in love with Matthew Harding and say, well, you know, you've got a proper football bloke as a chairman you know we didn't see him as a as a rich businessman shyster running our club which is what we've you know we've had for a while now we we saw him as one of us you know and i think for for i think i i can see people voting you know wanting matthew harding as chairman very much for those reasons but there you go anyway uh we have a bit of a, a poor run of uh form uh well i say that but uh we we, we basically lost to stoke and the Coca-Cola Cup. Hullet missed a sitter, bizarrely. Uh, we, we were absolutely all over them. Yeah, I we were, weren't we? Absolutely not. I couldn't believe it. I, and Pesky Solido scored a decent goal. I remember thinking, God, that was just so typical. We uh, we should have just... They, it, they were so in charge of that game. Mark? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with JK. Well, I remember, I think the Stoke fans were in the shed end that night. And yes, Mr. Karen Brady did score the goal for Stoke, but we were all over them. Uh a night of missed chances. I think I think Steen was probably playing that night and I think he missed chances. I think Hullet got frustrated with him. I was sitting in the East Lower that night and it's like yeah, you know, the moaning around and you sort of think, Well, hang on a minute, like it's still we're only in October, but all the moaning had started already. Oh, this is rubbish, typical bloody Chelsea, etc. But we were the better side. We just didn't take our chance of that. That was just the frustrating thing. Yeah. And then well obviously the, the following Saturday, we do we do another typical Chelsea again by going and winning away from home. Yeah. In that in the, at that period, I remember um, Hullet was so in advance of everybody else's thinking. The number of occasions he would be he'd stroll into the midfield, and he would gesticulate for somebody Steen or Spenny to go right or left or whatever, and they would always Steen in particular would always choose the wrong place to run. And the number of times that, that Rude would play a, a beautiful pass to, to nobody because he, he'd made the wrong run, having been in the right position. And it was terribly frustrating. And, and what, what Rude used to do, he, he wouldn't hide his, uh, his, his own frustration, would do a rather large gesture and hit his head or even go with holding his hands in the air from time to time, uh, basically saying, I'm surrounded by idiots. You know, what am I doing here in this team? But it was, I'm afraid, it was particularly um, Steen, who just wasn't on his wavelength at all. 
Indeed, 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 indeed. And as Mark says, we then went up to Villa Park and won one nil. Uh, uh, really good goal, actually. Again, I mean, talking about Hughesy and his hold-up play, as we were earlier on, he does really well. You well for but but Chid also wise. in this and J.K. made reference to it earlier. Frank, looking at the team lineup, Frank Sinclair is out injured now, and David Lee comes in. No, he's not. Begins... Are you, well, are you is sure? It... Are you oh, sure? Oh, oh, I'm sure? I'm sure. I'm sure. I thought, looked at the team that's, this morning. That's not. That's not when he breaks his leg. No, no, it's not when he breaks his leg. He, he's oh, no, he does injured. his knee, doesn't he? Yeah, he's missing injured for this game because David Lee plays. Yeah, yeah but I don't, I don't think this is the big injury. I think he was in... Oh, no, 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 no. It's not the big injury, but Frank Frank is missing because he's injured for this game. Or he's been dropped for David Lee. David Lee comes into the side at this point and he starts playing in defence on a regular basis going forward. And he becomes much more important then as you then get the Petrescu feeling, you know, wing-backs joining November. But this is when David Lee comes into the side and starts playing regularly again. He had had long periods out himself, and I think David Lee had had a broken leg as well. So, Although, although, uh, Frank's back for the next match against Man United, and we get absolutely walloped at home 4-1. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely shocking we were that day. And Frank Frank gets sent off, doesn't he? Well, Frank, 90 minutes, he basically... Completely hacks uh, Brian McClare down, uh, probably because Brian McClare had the temerity to score on 85 minutes. But uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe they were just really, really good that day. I mean, I don't really have any memories of it. I mean, JK, I remember this one? Which one? I, the United game? Yeah. No, we were just awful. We were just, <laughs> you know. I, I, I remember it for non football reasons, you know, because United outclassed them that day. But I watched the game uh, with a guy called Andy Cairns who was in the Irish band Therapy. And if you remember your Delamitri, the lead singer whose surname, I can't remember, his first name was Justin. They had a song called Always the Last to Know. So I watched the game with them. You know, and I, th- I think you know, they, they were great company. I was sitting with them in the, the East Upper that day. Um, but, you know, so I might have had a good time. But, but my other memory of this is on the back of that day with Andy, and I did an interview with him, he invited me and about 10 of my Chelsea friends, he put us on the guest list, for their next London gig, which was at Brixton Academy. So, like, really looking forward to go down it. But we chose the absolute worst night of the year to go and see therapy play at Brixton Academy. It was the night of the Brixton riots. <laughs> so the safest place that night, with obviously cars being set alight and fighting with the police, etc., was probably the Brixton Academy. The, the only thing afterwards, the after-show party that therapy had... I think the pub was called the Canterbury Arms, but if you live in Brixton, the pub next to Brixton Police Station was where Therapy had their after-show party. So again, um, by then, when the gig is over, you know there is a, a long line of police from all over London guarding Brixton Police Station, and obviously inside the cordon is the Canterbury Arms. So again, if there was a sort of like a post-gig pint in a part of London that where riots are taking place, you couldn't have chosen a safer place to actually have a post-show pint where therapy were having their, their, their next to Brixton Police Station because you're surrounded by thousands of police officers. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, our brilliant run of form continues. By the way, we're now in 10th position, so we're like, you know, mid-table, let's be honest. Uh, we then play Blackburn away. Um, now, were Blackburn uh, the... Uh, champions weren't they I think yep. yeah they yep. were so they were yep. a decent side but they they absolutely humped us 3-0 um, and I mean the, the 
you know, the two things about this match that occurred to me. One is um, something that you alluded to earlier on, JK. But I, I mean, watching it all back on on the season review this weekend, it seemed to me that Chelsea were just leaving themselves so open at the back and were getting hit on the counter a lot. And I was thinking, well, hang on, you know, Rude's supposed to be playing sweeper, but ends up playing centre forward. So there was just such a a kind of focus on attack and they were leaving they were leaving the the barn door open at the back a lot and i think good teams like united you know united that goal that gig scored for example you know good teams with pace were really hurting us blackburn did the same but of course as mark was mentioning a minute ago the other thing is this is when frank sinclair did get injured and carried off and he actually missed the next 16 games uh but that did open the door for michael dubry because he i think he was on loan at bournemouth and they called him up and got him back Yep. Um, yeah, but I mean, also, uh, Hullet was was really pissed off, wasn't he, Mark? Oh, I was at I was at this game, like yeah. And Blackburn was always a good away trip because they had a pub behind a wayhead called I think the Fernhurst or something. Yeah, so it was always a good fun at Blackburn, and we we were just so bad that day, and you could just see the frustration. You could see the frustration with Hullet, where you think, "What am I doing here?" Because they clearly, the players on the pitch, they just weren't on the same wavelength. And, and again, you know, I, I, I do feel for Mark Stein because yeah, he, he'd had a sort of purple patch the previous season. But this season, whatever he tried to do, it just it didn't, didn't it, it, it yeah. didn't come off. You know, so Hullet, you know, Hullet is setting up chances 24-7. Yeah, and they're just not being taken. And then, obviously, as a fan's point of view, you can see, you know, it's it's not working. But it, it wasn't just that. It wasn't working for Furlong either because Furlong starts the game up front and Steens comes on and replaces him and gets all these chances. You know, so it wasn't working for either of them. And then you sort of say, well, hang on a minute, where is Johnny Spencer? He's he's nowhere to be seen. You know, so I know Spencer will come into the side later. So you could see Hullet's frustration. You know, uh, and again, I think the following home game we play Sheffield Wednesday at home and Bates has a pop. You know, not just at the players after that loss to Blackburn. He has a pop at Hoddle as well. You know, so you sort of think, oh, hang on a minute. Because like a couple of days afterwards, I went to a book launch in Drake's by a lady called Khadija Buckland, who'd done a 25-year anniversary of the FA Cup win. And Hoddle's at the event. And, you know, um, I went I went to his press conference at the event. And they were the only question they were asking was, if a new contract was offered to you, because he was in the last year of his contract, would he sign it? And he wasn't prepared to discuss it. Yeah, he was really sort of coy about that. So you began to get in rumours, like Bates is slagging him off in the programme, you know, side of poor, you know, is this a sign that Hoddle might be heading out the door? Mm, interesting stuff. Um, the interesting, the other thing that's occurred to me, where's where's Gavin Peacock? Hardly featured he, at all. I know, I don't know, was he, was he injured this season? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very odd, very odd. Anyway, more or less. No, like... but he, he, he does feature later because there's an absolute game where yeah. you know, he is yeah. a man of the match performance. I mean, he, yeah. maybe he was injured because he certainly was playing a few games earlier on. Uh, yeah. That's for sure. But anyway, there we go. Right, we're now into November and this is very key. I think this is actually pivotal, not just in the whole season, but you know, for, for the future going forward because we have the presence of mind to sign a wonderful Dan Petrescu and uh, Terry Phelan. Uh, and as I said, on the 18th of November, Dubes comes back from Bournemouth uh, and he does really, really well the first three games he plays. Uh, the first of which is, uh, I think it's uh, Sheffield Wednesday, isn't it, at home? Um, the other thing about that, Hullet goes off injured after an hour, uh, meaning he's out for six games. Lots of chances go begging, but we've got a bit of an injury crisis. Jonathan, did you miss a beat when uh, Hoddle went off injured? When Hullet went off injured? Mm. 
yes. Yes, because you knew that he he had a, a dicky knee, so there was always that uh, that possibility that it might might linger. And as it was, he was out for six. But um, but yeah, you you did feel it was it was slightly a one man team at the time. Um, so uh, yes, we were we were all there. Everybody was um, uh, all my mates. Everybody I sat with were all very uh, um, worried about the injury, more so than anybody, obviously, because he was the star of the side. Um, but um, we, we, we managed actually to do quite well without him for the next few games. Well, I know, funnily enough, we did. I mean, we did go to Leeds and we lost 1-0. Um, uh, you know, dodgy goal for Leeds by Yeboa. Arguably, Karim was fouled. But the thing was, this is, uh, I think, when Petrescu makes his debut and you can see that the pieces are all beginning to fit together a little bit better. The other interesting thing about this, Mark, was that this is where we start to see the... Bates and uh, Harding brouhaha escalate. He bans Harding from the director's box. Or he tells Lees to ban uh, him uh, Harding from the director's box. Oh, this is when it really kicks off. But what, what I would say beforehand about Michael Jubry, if you look at that run of games, he had a real baptism of fire, Jubry. Yeah, and, and he did really well. Yeah, in those first few games that he played, he was Mark Antonio Boa, Teddy Sheringham, Andy Cole, Les Ferdinand and Ian Wright. And he, he didn't do too badly. So, yeah, fair play to him. You know, he's got probably at that point, sort of like the, I would say the five or six sort of strikers, you know, at the top of their game in the Premier League. But yeah, uh, I think it starts, uh, and it's interesting, the, the main protagonists in this um, are the Daily Mirror. You know, and in the Daily Mirror, you've got a number of people in different corners. You've got Harry Harris, very much on the sort of Ken Bates side of things. You had the late Nigel Clark on the Matthew Harding side of things. And on the, in the Sun, you then had Brian Woolno on the Matthew Harding side. But the sort of the starting point is like Bates had basically said you know, about Harding. You know, he wasn't fit to run the club. You know, he, he basically said that. You know, uh, uh, and you know, obviously Harding bites back. So day one, I think it's Tuesday the seventh of November. You have the Bates article written by Harry Harris. On the Wednesday, the ninth of November, you have the Nigel Clark article. You know, written written favourite Harding, but Bates that takes that takes no prisoners. He he basically sends a letter to Harding, uh, and he basically bans him. You know, from oh, a number of things. He bans him from the car park. He bans him from the executive club. He bans him from the players' bar. As you said, he tells the Leeds United directors to ban him from the, the box up there. And Harding comes out with this absolutely brilliant line. Yeah, because Harding I think had about a dozen season tickets. You know, if it's all is it okay by you? You know, if I go and sit in the, the North Stand, because after all, I've bloody well paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember yeah. that. And but, um, Go on. No, but that, that's when you begin to see that there's, there's tension there, you know, for sort of like the month the month of November. And I think from memory, on the Saturday, we it was the international break, um, and Chelsea play at West Ham for Alvin Martin's testimonial. And you, you even see it now if you Google it. There's photos of Matthew... Uh, with his hands up in the air, celebrating a Chelsea goal. Uh, and Rob Beasley, the journalist, is, is, is beside him. So I think Rob's there, obviously, sort of like getting the hard, hard inside thing. But for a short period of time, there was no love lost between the two. And I think part of it, it comes back to Harding, is I think Harding wasn't prepared to put any more money into the club than he already done, by actually without knowing a lot more of what's going on, sort of, shall we say, behind behind the scenes. And a good, a good example of that is... Um, you had Chelsea Village, um, and again, like the News of the World did a story on Chelsea Village, and they basically sort of like, 
you know, highlight who the shareholders were. Now, at that point, you know, there was 102 million shares in Chelsea Village, and Ken Bates spoke for 100 of those 102 million. But I don't think any of that was Ken's money. It was like other people's money. And the News of the World at the time said that, obviously, the people that owned Chelsea Village, some of the ones they named were a company called RHK Nominees, Hi-Sci Limited, and between them, those two companies that were a registered office block, you know, in Hong Kong, you know, so like a, they own 50% of Chelsea Village. A company called Van Burr Limited owned another 9%, and the News of the World traced that to a post office box in Guernsey. And this is probably the most interesting character of all. Another shareholder was a gentleman called Ashraf Marwan. Now, Ashraf Marwan had actually been questioned by MI5 um, about being a Middle Eastern arms dealer. Uh, and, and Marwan, if you Google Marwan, Marwan, Marwan is sadly dead now, um, but Mar, Marwan was um, supposedly a Mossad, Mossad spy. So, Bloody hell. So we, we, we've got these really interesting people who own our football club. And what I found fascinating about that time and when, when Roman takes over is, God rest his soul, remember Tony Banks saying at the time, he said, oh, we're not sure about this Russian bloke and where his money's come from. <laughs> and we go, hang on a minute, Tony, you weren't that bothered. When, like, you, know, you weren't sure where the other person's money was coming from, but you'd, you'd sit in the East End and have lunch with him every, every other Saturday. Yeah. But yeah, the gloves are off by now. Bates is basically saying Harding's not fit to do the job, implying, obviously, that he's a bit of a water-mitted character, suggesting the reason why he's banned from the boardroom because of his drunken behaviour and turning up far too much to drink. So, you know, it all culminates in a game with Spurs at home where there was a su suggestion, you know, that there was going to be a demonstration by fans. You know, so at half-time, and I remember there was booing at the time, whether Bates police, I don't know. There was police dogs on the pitch at half time. Now, normally when we saw dogs on the pitch with the police, there's usually a dog display. We had that down yeah. a few times down yeah. the years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but there was no, there was no, this, they anticipated a demonstration. Like I was part of the Chelsea Pennant. There was no demonstration plan. I can say that hand, hand on half. Yes, we, we spoke regularly with Matthew. Matthew shared lots of stuff with us. There was no demonstration, even if. Like the Daily Mirror had run a poll that basically said 80% of Chelsea fans wanted Matthew Hardy to take over. But probably at that point where things, I don't think, were ever the same again, obviously, between, between Harding and Bates. They kiss and make up sort of like late, later, later next month. But, you know, at that particular moment in time, you know, there was no likelihood of Harding ever becoming chairman of Chelsea Football Club. Now, I never really understood what was going on. I'll be frank with you. And I have to say, I still don't understand what's going on, Mark. Sorry yeah. to be... Uh, no, that's um, no, fine. I think ha yeah, from, from Harding's point of view, Harding wanted to put the money into the club. But yes. he wanted to know, obviously, who the owners really were. Because it's like... it'd be like No, being... no, I understand that bit. But I, yeah. I, I, there was an earlier bit, wasn't there, where, yeah. where we were told that um, he'd put all the money into... Um, the stand, and yep. as it said, the North Stand was his. But I was then told whether this was this was rumor mill that um, he'd in fact loaned the money to the club. Yep, it was a loan. It was um, a loan, and this is another reason why they they, they fell out. Oh, they fell um, out absolutely, absolutely. They, they fell out because Bates wanted Harding to convert that loan into equity. Yes, yeah. uh, yeah. and Har and this is the point. Harding wasn't prepared to convert that into equity until he really saw where the money was going and who the people who were actually 
the right. owners of Chelsea that was the reason Club that was the reason yeah. there's yeah. a and lot that, that of was misinformation going around because people were saying um he's put all this money into the club and Bates is treating him badly and I was saying no actually the the reality is that he hasn't put the money into the club he's just he's just offered them a loan um but and you're and, he, and you're absolutely right he because he wanted clarity as to who actually owned the club. And yet there was another theory that all these names that supposedly owned the club were in fact made up and that it was all, they were all baits. Did you ever hear that one? Well, yeah. Um, uh, and again, I think it's more revealed next season where we've actually got named people. So we'll, we'll save that for sort of like um, a, a future show where we've actually, and some of the names are incredible names where you, you'd think they were characters in a carry on film. Yes. You know, some, some, some of the names like, you know, yeah, and I, I can't at the moment think of any Sid James characters, but yeah, but we'll we'll cover that on a future future show because Bates always said um, he he spoke for a hundred million of those shareholders. Uh, what no one knew is who those hundred million shareholders were. But t basically, fifty million of those shares were those two companies that I mentioned, and it's trying to establish who who were the people behind them, and that's the sort of thing. Is hang on, if these people, you know are owned of Chelsea Football Club. I think I don't think it was unreasonable for Harding wanting to know who they actually were because if he's putting money in, he wants to know who he's doing business with. I wouldn't give you twenty million pounds and just say, Oh, off you go with it. I'd want to know who's dealing with my twenty million pounds. The Bates big thing was he actually didn't contribute the money and wouldn't do it. And that was one of the reasons why he didn't want him running the club. Yeah. And and, and Ken was very good. It's like actually he was very good at persuading people to invest. He was very good at that. Yeah whether at a, a large level or a low level. And again, that's how he brought Matthew in as well. So uh, going back to the Bolton game, um, which is, I have to say, has got to be one of, you know, in the context of this season, has perhaps got to be the weirdest game of the season. Um, we win 3-2. Uh, Sasa Churchit scores a brilliant goal to put Bolton 1-0 up. What a wonderful uh, player he was, Chid. He Search. was. I forgot what wonderful. a good player he was. Absolutely brilliant. And everybody was slightly, ooh, where did they get, where did this yeah. guy come from? He's a, you know, he's he's one of those dubious foreigners. Look at him. Wow, look at that, that great yeah. skill. And But he was really top banana. But he beat about player. four or five players before putting it right in the corner. He's he, absolutely he could do that regularly. Yeah. He seemed to do that for a lot of the season, actually. He, he, really I think he scored against player. us again in the, in the, in the uh, you know, in the, uh, no went, went up there, yeah. So anyway, he puts them one nil up. Uh, then uh, Super Dan uh, uh, gets the ball to Rodders, who scores his first goal for two years, and uh, and then and then Gareth Hall scores an amazing curler to put us two one up. That's his first goal for two and a half years. Then uh, Green scores for them to make it two all, and then Eddie Eddie Newton scores the third. Uh, with uh, three five minutes to go, I mean, what a kind of weird, unlikely goal scorers, but a really good performance, I thought. Mark, oh, what a game! I, I remember it. Yeah, night, night game, and Gareth Hall's goal is amazing. Yeah, I, I think Gareth probably says that is the best goal he ever got for the club. He didn't get many goals, but yeah, really end-to-end -end game. You know, almost like a typical Chelsea game. You know. We've won the game, then we've lost it, then we've won it again. And then Eddie Newton with the winner with five minutes to go. There's no better way to win the game with a, with a late winner. It was, it was a great Hughes cross as well for that for his header. Yes, it was. It was absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, when they turned it on, they were really good. But I was just surprised. But I mean, you know, in a season where we've talked about some great goals by some great goal scorers, Rodders and bloody Gareth Hall, what's going on? Um, but even even Eddie Newton, Eddie Newton didn't get that many no. goals. As, a, as he got some really important goals, he did. none more than the cup final. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, 
there were three. If you if you were in Ladbroke before and you having a better on a play at score, you would get good odds on all three of those. Yep, you would indeed. Uh, we now go into December, um, and we're still, I think, pretty much <clears throat> mid-table. He just checks the wonderful bounder Friday. Yeah, we're, we're tenth, eleventh. We're eleventh after drawing nil-nil with Spurs. Um, well, we had a, a goal disallowed for absolutely nothing, but let's not re- refight old battles. Uh, we then have what I would call a really tough run of games. We've got uh, United away, Newcastle at home. Remember that uh, Newcastle United are, are leading the uh, uh, the Premier League at the time. United are five points behind. Uh, we then play Arsenal, and uh, then it gets a little bit easier. But then, but let's talk about the United. We go up there, uh, and and as always, we we do really really well up there. Um, Wise uh, scores uh, to make it one nil. I can't remember who did the shot, but he basically Spencer oh, Spence Spenny hit the post, didn't he? And then Wisey put it in. Yeah, it was a really good goal, actually. I thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then talked about Wise very much, actually. I thought play, played uh, had a, had a terrific season as well, actually. Well, I, I do mention him, but I mentioned him much later. But I, I agree with you. I think he was absolutely back to his best this season. I think he'd put his the taxi trauma behind him. Yeah. Uh, and he, he spoke quite movingly about that, I think, in the review, didn't he? Where he realised that, that it was actually very serious and he could have been in a lot of trouble and he was lucky. And it kind of it was a bit of a wake-up call for him, I think. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Beckham equalises for them. Cole misses a sitter late on. So it was a good point to get up there. And then we play Newcastle at home. <clears throat> As I said, they're, they are uh, leading the, uh, the division at the time. Uh, Terry Phelan makes his debut. Um... But this is quite bizarre, actually. Super Dan basically uh, scores his first goal for Chelsea, but right after Pavel Schernek, uh comes on for Shaka Hislop, who just in- injured himself. But Mark, you know, still mired in the whole Bates Harding thing, isn't it? This match is also remembered for the makeup between Bates and Harding on Match of the Day. It, it, it was indeed, and that, that coat that Ken was wearing at the time. And so I, I don't know what animal was killed to wear that coat. Yeah. But yeah, they, they had a board meeting on the Thursday afternoon. And it is quite funny with Phelan making his debut that when they'd fallen out in November, one of the things that Harding had said in his interview with the Daily Mirror is despite all of that, you know, that he's being banned from this, banned from that, he's still getting a phone call from a club director wanting his money so they, they can actually pay for Terry Phelan. And obviously Phelan makes his debut. Yeah, they, they'd kissed and made up. I think part of it, what the original plan then at that boardroom, and they issued a sort of like a very short 83-word statement, um, that not surprisingly, the Daily Mirror was the newspaper that picked up on it and, and published it the next day. Harry Harris was the journalist that published it. Uh, and it basically says that um, Ken Bates and Matthew Harding will both be having lunch and sitting together at the Newcastle game on Saturday as part of the agreement that there would be sort of like a point where Harding will become like vice chairman, you know, sorry, vice president of Chelsea Football Club. That was that was the title he was going to be as part of their peace deal. Bates, as part of the peace deal, would concentrate on the commercial development that was Chelsea Village, because obviously Hutchinson and Harding have already resigned for Chelsea Village. And Harding would have responsibility for player purchasing in partnership with the manager. And Harding would chair a subcommittee on player purchases. And obviously, no sooner than he does that than... Uh, Terry Phelan joins and has a, has a marvellous debut and plays a key part in the remainder of the season. So, at this moment, we have peace in our time. We do indeed. As a postscript, <clears throat> did Cernacek not have a wig? Was that not a wig? Is that a he... syrup, mate? Yeah. It, and he, 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 I thought there was a, a programme where he explained 
what kind of wig it was. And it was like a, a complete wig that he glued on. Did you never see that that program? That's amazing. I... I didn't know that. No, no. <laughs> he, he's passed away now, isn't he? Sir? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Died yeah. quite recently, I think. Yeah. Well, within the last kind of few, few Unless years. I'm confusing him with another First Division goalkeeper who had a wig. That's One of so. them. I thought it was him. But it wasn't just a, you know, a little syrup or bit on top. It was the whole thing that he glued on. Like a helmet. Like exactly, exactly. But if you look at his hair, it looks like a helmet. Yeah, yeah. Of course, Shaka Hislop's now uh, ESPN's dude in the states, isn't he? On their on their Premier yeah. League coverage. Yeah. I love his accent. It's just so thick and creamy. It's got that yeah. lovely Caribbean lilt to it. I yeah. do love his accent. Bless him. Um, so there we go. Talking of Caribbeans, we haven't heard from Kenroy for a while, have we? I wonder how Kenroy is. Kenroy, if you're listening, tell us how you are. Anyway. Um, Moving on, yeah, Arsenal go up to Highbury uh, and we draw one all. Spenny puts us one all up and then very annoyingly, very annoyingly, Lee Dixon uh, equalises with two minutes to go. Bit frustrating to say the least. Um, and then we've got Wimbledon at home. This is a very strange... Well, we play no, City next, don't we? Have I, oh, I'm reading ahead, aren't I? Yeah, we've got City next. Um, oh, yeah, this is important because uh, Rudy's back and uh, boy, have we missed him and he makes a huge impact, of course. Uh, he lays on uh, a goal for Peacock with an absolutely superb pass again, 1-0. Uh, and that's how it stayed. Um, that's his first game back after six weeks. And, 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 and I think we can all agree we, we had missed him. Uh, I think we had definitely missed him, yes. Mark, the, well, Oasis were on the pitch beforehand. What's all that about? Yeah, they, they were. Like, I, I went up to Main Road. This is sort of like the Saturday before Christmas, which is notoriously... You know, not great for attendances. But Oasis were in their pomp at that time. If you think 1995, what's the story? Morning Glory has been released. You know, so I don't know whether or not, you know, they were going to play at Main Road for a gig or they'd got a gold record. But I, I do remember Oasis being on the pitch. And that was that was around that whole Blur versus Oasis thing. I think um, Country House um, got to number one. And uh, I think Roll With It was number two. So, you know, that it was it, it was around that time you know that you had all that because I, I remember I did a front cover of the Chelsea Independent and I took the photo from that book launch yeah you know, and I made a joke about you know Hoddle decides which side he's on because they were all, always asking was he Harding or Bates and I just basically said that he was um, a Blur or a better band than Oasis and the late Alan Collis who did the red card fancy mm. was good friends uh, with Noel Gallagher so Alan being mischievous showed that front cover to sort of Noel Gallagher and I think Noel Gallagher was saying unkind words about the fanzine I was editing at that time, bless him. Yeah, yeah he's got a great he, sense of humour, hasn't he? He, he can fuck off. <laughs> yeah. So so articulate. <laughs> but the other thing I was, I was going to say, yeah, Hollett came back for that game and even though we didn't do too badly when he was out for that six weeks, we mm. won the game, you just noticed yeah. the difference. And, and, and Peacock's there again, so he sets up the winner for Peacock. Yeah, we, we really missed him badly. So it was good to have him back. It was indeed. Uh, right. We've got two more, more games before the turn of the year, the, uh, both at home. The first one is against Wimbledon, uh, which is a match that many, many, many people remember. Um, the first, I mean, you know, Super Dan puts us 1-0 up. Uh, then Robbie Earl equalises. Spenny goes close. Why does Effin Effinakuku always Effin score against us? I don't know why, but he puts um, them 2-1 up. And then it all really kicks off, doesn't it, J.K.? Uh, Vinnie Jones absolutely does rude Hullet. He goes straight through the back of him, quite rankly, uh, quite rightly gets sent off. Um, 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And apart from that, uh, Dubry gives away a penalty, which Corrine saves from Holdsworth. And then Robbie Earl uh, gets one off the line from Mark Hughes. So we, we... I think um, I think Karine was at his, his most unpredictable in this game because the uh, um, the the first Earl goal, the, the Earl goal from the corner, he's mm. riveted to the spot. And um, uh, and this was the problem I had with him this season. He could he was he was both um, sweet and sour. He was chalk and cheese. He was uh, uh, he could do a fantastic save and then just go missing. And his penalty save from Holdsworth was was great, but he'd already given the goal away earlier on. Um, an interesting thing about Holdsworth, from then on, we were associated with buying Holdsworth for the next next few seasons. When in doubt, oh, Holdsworth's coming. You'd think, yeah, he's not a bad player, but whether that was once again all just um, pie in the sky, I suspect it was. But uh, there was somehow some feeling that he was a, um, um, uh, a notch above Spencer and uh, Peacock um, as the as the years went on, and I I didn't think that was the case. But oh, he's a decent player, but it, it never happened. No, so. I agree entirely with that, Mark. I, I think the other thing about the Wimbledon game is as, as also as, as bad as that tackle was uh, on you know Vinnie Jones on Ollie. The other side too, that as well. Vinnie Jones was still a popular. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you know, when he came back, you know, he got a great round of applause. Like you know, because people he'd, he'd only been gone a couple of years. But in that split second, he undid all that popularity. You know, Jones actually got booed off the pitch by the Chelsea fans. But then Hoddle has a go at him as he's going off the pitch. You know, and then he has a set two at Hoddle, you know, as well. So the, the, the boos got louder and louder. And from then on, you know, when he came back, and you know, we play him later in the season as well, Jones just get booed all the time. You know, so he'd gone from being a hero to very quickly being a villain in Chelsea fans' eyes. Purely simply on the basis of that tackle on Hullet. Mm, no, quite understandably. Uh, right, we then have Liverpool at home. Uh, this was a great game, actually. Um, lots of very good goals. Spencer, great volley from a Super Dan cross. I mean, this is the interesting thing. I mean, talk about impacts like Rude. But Super Dan makes an impact immediately, doesn't he, when he comes in uh, in, in November. You know, goals, assists, terrorising uh, poor, un- unsuspecting left backs he's brilliant anyway he lays fabulous passer of a ball yeah fabulous. well yeah absolutely brilliant he lays on a goal a great spencer uh, another great spencer volley McManaman equalizes from a great shot from 25 yards out spenny gets another one two one and then McManaman gets another 25 yard drive to make it two all spenny hits the post and McManaman go it's like the spencer and McManaman show it's bizarre anyway McManaman goes close with another long-range effort and uh, and then Hullet uh, crosses to Dennis Wise. He goes close when it was in fact easier to score. But a real a great game actually. And uh, Frank Wise, he was Mr. Complete City. He did. But, yeah. Well, I said it was easier to score. I don't know score, how he missed it. I wanted to give it even more emphasis. It was okay. Absolutely would you would you would you like to give it more emphasis? Yes, it was shit. Okay, there you go. <laughs> you. Mark. Well, the, the other thing as well for us, as well as being an absolutely cracking cracking game and I said I'd uh, make reference to it because I talked about last week's show we finally got round to having our second leg of our European Cup Winners Cup game against the Brew Supporters Club so they came over en masse from Belgium because obviously some of them now are season ticket holders as well Chelsea the Belgian Blues so we played them at Battersea Park on the morning of the Liverpool game and we hired the pitch there and again there's a theme emerging here our star signing Mr David Baddiel once again 
failed to turn up. <laughs> he wasn't tired this time. He was seeing his girlfriend. <laughs> so he couldn't he couldn't make it. So we were doing really well. Um we ran into a four two lead. You know, so we'd lost the first leg two one. So we're five four up on aggregate and there was a moment, you know, in the game, like David's brother, Ivor, used to play for it. Ivor sadly gets injured uh, and Neil Smith was refereeing. So we didn't have another ref. So Ivor goes off injured, but has to referee the game. And Neil comes on in midfield in place, uh, place of him. And I don't know whether it was the loss of Ivor or him becoming referee because he gives a penalty uh, to Bruges. You know, so there's no home bias there. We actually concede five goals in five minutes. So going from a 4-2, it ends up like a, a, a Wimbledon centre court tie break situation. You know, so we end up losing 7-5 to the Bruce Supporters Club and we therefore lose 9-6 on aggregate. And there was this rather annoying thing. Um, what the Bruce fans used to do every time they scored was this large, loud, throaty cheer that sounded like, "Your!" And you can imagine hearing that five times in five minutes. You know, now the whole idea of playing support was, you know, on the back of Dublin said was to build a relationship, you know, with opposing fans. But actually, do you know, at the end of it, we wanted to fight with him as well. By <laughs> <laughs> the way, a postscript to that, but David Baddiel's girlfriend, who he was going up with, is Moena Banks, who of course he then who's he in, married her, of course. he married her, yeah. and they're in Peppa Pig. And I asked her out. Yeah. Oh, really? But before or after he was married well, to you, her? Before, why, didn't you, happily, before. why didn't you ask her out the day of that game and you could have turned up the play for us? He could have done it. Also, I then might have gone out with her. <laughs> she turned me down. What, did she say why? Well, no, I asked her out on the answer phone and she had a very strange answer phone that said, if I don't reply, it means my answer phone isn't very good. She said, not working very well, which I thought was quite canny because I said I wondered if she'd like to go for a coffee. This Jonathan kid, I'd work, just work with her. I wanted to go for a coffee. She gave me a phone number. And, and her, her response was to never get back to me. So uh, I thought, oh, that's canny. It could have been, of course, she really did have a rubbish answer phone. But I, I took it as it was quite a canny thing to do because it meant that you could then pretend that you didn't want to get, you, 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 you know, somebody hadn't, uh, um, it was just the answer phone had broken when actual fact you didn't want to speak to the person anyway. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Mm. Uh, Mark, I've got a question for you. Um, you said that Badil was our star player. I mean, was he actually good? Well, the interesting thing, he never played for us. He was meant to be our star player because he was the big name. Oh, so he but was a star we... because he was well-known, not necessarily because he was any good. Yeah, yeah. I n- never saw him play because every time we organised the game, there was there was another reason why he couldn't make it. Oh, Mark, if only I'd known you then, I'd have turned up to all of them. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and I, and I, but I obviously wasn't as well-known as him, unfortunately. So I could have been your, your non-star player. I could have been <laughs> your... Because I'd been in a couple of shows with him, yeah. but uh, but I obviously wasn't as well known as him. So, uh, you should have had Damon from Blur. Yeah, because he played, or even um, Phil Daniels. Yeah, Phil can play. Yeah. No, yeah. we had Ivor, bless him, and I I was done a lot since then, and Ivor 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 wasn't a bad player, bless him, and he he always turned out to play for us. Yeah. Yeah, great stuff. Well, there you go. What a what a typically surreal note to end this uh, half of the show on. Uh, but just a, a quick reminder. Uh, that if you if you like what we do, if you enjoy what we do, uh, then of course you can show your appreciation uh, by not booing us off the pitch next time you sit. No, 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 not that one again. No, you can show your appreciation by joining our Patreon site. Uh, it helps me to cover the cost of the shows. Blah blah blah. 
Um, but there are fringe benefits to this. Um, number one, you immediately get access to our Discord group, which is a huge amount of fun uh, when the football's actually on. I, I, I've been very absent because there's no, no football to talk about, basically. Uh, so I will be uploading the photographs from our shindig uh, on Saturday to them, though, so they can all have a look at that. And, of course, we have the Premier League predictions coming back soon. So um, I will be putting links out, sending emails to people. Anybody who wants to join it, look out for our Twitter and Facebook pages because it will have details how to join the league. It was so much fun last season. We all absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. That will get you into the Discord group, too, because there's a whole channel on there dedicated to the league. And of course, last but by no means least, you get a Kerry Dixon mini banner, a replica of the one that hangs in the uh, Matthew Harding end. So there are plenty of good reasons to do it other than just saying, thank you, chaps. We enjoy what you do. Now, if you want to do that, it's easy to go to patreon.com forward slash Chelsea fancast. And as I said, there's no pressure, really. It's it's entirely up to you. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's only about a dollar or a quid a month or five a, a month, something like that. So it's up to you entirely what you do. But we love you for it if you do. Uh, right. We will be back after a very short break. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.